sharing the word today with you guys. And I know that I just preached like two weeks ago before Pastor John. And so, this is, is the recording already on? Okay. All right. So, um, when, we, when I preached two weeks ago, I shared about um, Emmaus' vision statement, right? And Emmaus' vision statement, it starts with, we believe you were made for more. And last time I talked about how this generation, each of you, are made for so much more, right? How God has placed eternity in our hearts, how um, we're not satisfied as a people until we encounter the eternal one. How discontentedness or how we may be, have looked in different places our whole lives, but how truly our hope and our joy, our life is found in Christ. So that was the first thing I shared with you guys um, two weeks ago. The first point of our vision statement. And the second sentence of that vision statement uh, says, um, we believe this generation is yearning for the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Okay? So the first thing is, we believe we were made for more. And the second sentence is, we believe this generation is yearning for the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Okay? So that is core to what we do. We believe that no matter what people look like, no matter what people act like, the college students that we minister to are yearning for Christ. Not just college students, but every person is yearning for Christ. Even if they don't know that that yearning is Jesus that they're looking for, that's what it is. And so today I'm going to just talk about that second point, right? So, um, yeah. One thing that I want to share with you guys is this message is going to be about the gospel, and it's going to be about sharing the gospel, not only owning it and encountering Christ for ourselves, but also about taking that. Like, when you know the creator of the universe, and when you have a relationship with Jesus, um, it's not news that you should just keep to yourself. It's not something that you should hide or tuck away. It's something that should be proclaimed and explained, you know, because your life has been saved by someone, and you want to share that with people. And so um, what I'm going to share in a postmodern world where a lot of people say all truth is relative, all truth is subjective to each person, there is no real moral truth, there is no real one way, there is no one religion, there is no... um, truth about this God. There are so many ways to eternal life. There are so many ways to God. This kind of message could make people feel very uncomfortable and could be kind of offensive. But that's exactly why God wants to release this word to you guys. Because you guys are the ones who are going to release revival. You guys are the ones that are going to carry this message and people are going to encounter Christ. Once you get it, it's game over. The enemy wants to deceive you guys into thinking it it doesn't matter. But the the Lord is saying, no, it's my heart that you know the truth and the way and the life is through Jesus Christ, right? And so, um, yeah, you guys, you college students um, are really special. God has created you and placed each of you on this earth at this moment in history to proclaim all that he has done, to release people from their bondage, to release people from deception. And so, um, yeah. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, in your Bibles. Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 16. Okay, is everyone there? I want you guys to read at the same time as me. I'm reading from NIV. Is everyone, what's NIV? ESV? What do you guys got? <laughs> All right, actually, you just be quiet. I'll read them. Okay. 
Okay. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And I also want you guys to turn to Isaiah chapter 61. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 through 3. All right, you guys there? Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 through 3. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Yeah, so let's pray, guys. Um, Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that, God, your gospel is nothing that we should be ashamed of, but it is the power of salvation for all who hear, God. And, Lord, I thank you that each person in this room, God, has been placed here um, by your design, God, for your purposes, God. I thank you that, Lord, they're not here by accident or coincidence, but they're here to hear a message, God, that's going to set them free. And so, Father, we thank you that you call us to be a generation that sets the captives free, to not only be set free, God, but to use that freedom and to, to release others from bondage, from prison cells as well. And so, God, teach us today your heart for that. Teach us today what your heart looks like, why we should care about this gospel, why we should care about proclaiming this gospel of truth. And, Father, we just, I just uh, pray that you anoint my lips, God, in each word that leaves my mouth. I thank you for uh, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm going to tell you guys a story. Um, I went to Japan last summer um, for a mission, a mission trip to Japan with New Philly Church. Uh, New Philly is a church that I go to, and it's the church that oversees Emmaus Campus Ministry. It's an English-speaking ministry, and um, they send mission trips every winter and summer vacation. So um, I, I had been on, like, one or two mission trips before this, but Japan was very different because... If you guys know anything about Japan, um, missionaries have tried to go to Japan for years. And so many missionaries say it's impossible. People there are, are too secular, they're too hard of heart, they're too comfortable. The gospel cannot really penetrate into their hardness of heart. Like, they come back so disillusioned, so tired, so burned out. Um, so many of them have stories of defeat. And they say, man, there's no fruit in Japan, right? So whenever New Philly was sending this mission trip, I was sending this mission team, I was like, all right, God, I know what people say about Japan. I'm full of faith, completely full of faith, but I'm, like, really curious to see how this is going to turn out because there hasn't been much success in Japan, right? So we went there, though, and uh, we, we did a lot of different things, but one day we went to the beach, and our missions team, there was, like, 17 of us, went to this amazing Japanese beach, and Japanese people are, like, pretty ripped. Like, they were, like... They were like crazy, like wearing bikinis, and it was just insane. So we were there in like our full clothing, and we had to go like minister, like evangelize on the beach to people, right? 
it was like kind of awkward because like you know like when you're at the beach with your family or friends you're like playing beach volleyball or you know doing whatever but we have to like walk up to people and share the gospel with them so um for a moment as i was uh we were put into partners so i had a partner with me actually she's an amazing student her name is dana she's from yensei um and we only had two translators for all 17 18 team members so like it was impossible, really, to have a translator with you. So you kind of were left to just make a lot of hand signals and speak really simple English and, and then broken Japanese. So um, as we started to approach people, like at one point I started to feel like, you know when you start feeling afraid or you start feeling like that intimidation or just that, that weight, like, oh, I can't. Like, you like go there, but then you're like, never mind, I'm not going to do it. Well, I started feeling that and I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, I can't do it, I can't do it. For a moment, I felt like that. And then the next moment, I just shook it off because I remember, wait a minute, I know who my father in heaven is. Wait a minute, I know who I am. Wait a minute, I know that they're hungry to encounter God. And I know that this is the only thing that's going to set them free. So we got to do it, you know? So um, Dana and I walked up to different people, like some people playing volleyball, some people like um, eating or whatever. And some people were like, no, 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 we don't want anything to do with you guys. Some people were like, oh, cool, you're from America, you can play with us for a while. But once we started talking about God, like, they were kind of hesitant. Um, we were just doing this all day, though, and then um, we walked up to three girls who were just, like, sitting in the water, and, and um, they looked so uninterested in us and in what we were talking about. They looked so callous and, like, hard, and their expressions were so, like, stone cold. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what are we going to do, you know? And so we walked up to them, though, and um, I got to know them a little bit. And then basically I said, I can't speak Japanese. I was like, I believe in God, and he loves me, and he speaks to me. Can I pray for you? And then, and then I said something like, he wants to speak to you. And then this girl was like, really? Okay. And so I grabbed her hand. And I started to um, just pray a simple, and I closed my eyes, I prayed a simple prayer for her. And then I looked up, and all of a sudden, tears were rolling down her face one by one. And I was like, what's happening? And then all of a sudden, she kept touching her heart like this, and then touching my heart, back and forth. My heart to her heart. And she kept doing this over and over, and tears were just coming down her face. And I was like, whoa, what's happening? You know? And then um, finally, the translator was free. Her name was Kate. And she came up to us, and I was like, Kate, like... What's happening, you know? And basically, um, she translated and said, um, the girl said, when you prayed, something warm came into my heart. I just felt so much peace and warmth. I've never felt that in my life. What is that? And I said, you know what? That's God's heart for you. That's his presence. That's his love. And you're not meant to just feel it for one moment on one day of your life. You're meant to live in that presence the rest of your life. You're meant to live in that love the rest of your life. You're not meant to just have it for a second. All it takes is for you to know his son, Jesus. Do you know that story? And she said, no, I don't know the story about Jesus, but I want to hear it. And so in the most like simple way, I said, you know, God created us to love us, but sin in our own way separated us from the love of God. And so 
The Lord loves us so much that he has sent his son so that the, that dividing wall between a holy God and a sinful people, it won't be there anymore. So now because of Jesus, we can access the Father. We can have intimacy with him again. And I said, do you want to receive this Jesus? And she said, with such like certainty in her face, I think I already did when you were praying for me. I met him when you were praying for me. And I was like, are you sure? <laughs> like, the way I was brought up in church, like, you need to pray a prayer with, like, certain things, and then you need to, like, have it really thoroughly explained, like, you need to know all these things to really accept Jesus. But then um, the translator kept saying, are you sure you know what she's talking about? And the girl said, yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah, I know Jesus. And she just gave her life to the Lord, you know? It was, it was crazy. And what we saw in Japan in this hard... Um, Nation to evangelism, we heard all these bad reports. We saw people just opening up their hearts to God. Almost every person I asked to pray for, let me pray for them. And on the street, in the store, wherever we were, people were receiving God's love and feeling his heart for them for the first time in their lives. A nation with less than 2% Christianity, right? That's insane, but that's how God moves. And um, what I want to ask you guys is, how did this happen? It doesn't make any sense, right? Hello, Minchang. So what I want to talk about is what happened in that story. What I want to talk about is what happened in that story is not just about me or a New Philly Missions team or a few really, really zealous people in your church. It's meant for every single believer in Jesus Christ. And it's easy. It's easy once you just catch his heart for it. And so the first point I want to make is... Fear God and nothing else. Um, you know, as much as this generation is yearning for Jesus, believers in today's world, most of the believers in the church are completely ineffective in reaching the lost, and not only reaching the lost, but doing any lasting work for the kingdom. Maybe they can counsel and, and help people a little bit or offer good advice, but as far as seeing life change, as far as seeing transformation, as, as far as seeing people set free, you'll see that a lot of the church is really struggling with this. And so, um, you know, young people around the world, especially in Korea, are really broken. Um, even on this campus, when you leave these doors, um, there's so many people who are hurting and who are completely lost. I have a friend who's a grad student here in, in the psychology department. And I can't reveal specific details, but basically she has told me that um, in this year of her program, basically the department has people come into her office and she starts to counsel them, right, as a psychologist. And she hears stories of the most, like, heartbreaking kind. People really come into her office completely depressed, completely broken, completely hopeless, about to commit suicide. People come into her office daily about to commit suicide. They want to give up on life. And it's not like it never happens. You guys know that in Korea, the suicide rate is one of the highest in the world. And a lot of those people who are deciding to end their lives are young people, just like you and me. And uh, my friend, she said that uh, whenever her counseling times are open, it's not like she's just sitting around. There's student after student after student who's searching for hope, who's searching for someone to listen and to help them. And um, so I think my question is, what's happening? Why are Christians so ineffective in reaching and hurting broken people? There are so many Christians in Korea. Like, it's really, really 
crazy that there are so many big churches full of people who go to Sebastido, who pray night and day, and how their suicide rates are so high, right? Why are there so many broken and hurting people, and why are there so many Christians here? Why is it, like, should it match like that, right? Um, and why is it that when Jesus walked the earth, every place he went, he was healing the sick? He was uh, freeing those who were oppressed by the devil. He was seeing the dead raised to life. He was saying to the prostitute, your sins are forgiven, you're clean, you're forgiven, right? And people's lives were never the same. He promised us that we would do even greater work than him. And so what is going on? Why don't we see that? Why don't we see that in our lives? Not only do we not see it, um, but oftentimes we're really callous to it. We actually know that stuff is happening out there, and we know that people are broken, but most of the time we don't think about it. We're hard-hearted, we're apathetic, and we're numb. We're so callous to a world that is broken. So what's happening? What's happening? Um, in one of John Bevere's books, um, it's called Breaking Intimidation, and it's seriously like um, a must-read, I think, for every believer. He says, all of our fears begin to center on one thought. What is going to happen to me? This is how intimidation will change your focus. The reason, the root of intimidation is fear. And fear causes people to focus on themselves. You know, in 1 John 4.18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Bevere keeps going, and he says, Perfect love casts out fear because love puts the focus on God and on others and denies itself, okay? Catch this, guys. Perfect love casts out fear because love puts the focus on God and on others rather than yourself. Intimidation paralyzes us in the realm of the spirit. It causes us to compromise what we know to be right it causes us to allow or tolerate what we, under other circumstances, wouldn't stand for. So why are there so many Christians who are apathetic and callous to a dying and broken world? Because of fear. Because of fear. Fear has gripped and paralyzed believers all around the world. Fear causes us to be inward focused. Fear causes us to shift our focus from God, to shift our focus from really loving people, and to shift our, complete, our focus completely on ourselves. Fear makes us too concerned with ourselves to really be able to help anyone else. Um, remember that first passage we read in Romans 1.16? It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of salvation. It is the power of salvation to those who believe. I'm not ashamed of it. That's what Paul was exclaiming. He went town to town. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was almost murdered so many times. Almost, he was stoned, right? But the, not, okay, stoned as in like rocks were thrown at him, okay? And then like people were tried to like kill him. The religious leaders tried to kill him. The, the people didn't accept him. But no matter what he said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of salvation. Paul also said in Acts 20, 13, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. In Acts 20, 24, he says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So my question is, 
is this type of lifestyle only for Apostle Paul? Or is it only for a couple crazy people in New Philly? Or is it only for a couple crazy people at your own churches? The answer is no. The answer is definitely no. And that is the biggest lie the enemy has said. He said, it's okay that you don't care. And it's okay that you're not doing anything. It's okay that you're ashamed of the gospel. That is not the Lord. That is not the Lord. Every true believer in Christ needs to deal with this. To be a true believer of Christ, it means you're all in. So the question is, why are we so afraid to tell people? Why are we so afraid to invite people to large groups? to familia, to be a man's retreat? Why are we so afraid of living a life that is set apart? Why do we live lives that appear as though we're ashamed of the gospel if we believe it to be true for ourselves? Why do we withhold a truth that's going to set a generation free, a generation that is yearning to encounter Christ? It's because we have allowed the fear of man to grow in our hearts, and that fear has paralyzed us. Um, and the next thing I want to say is what you, bef- what you fear becomes your God. Um, in Proverbs, 20, Proverbs 10, 24, it says, what the wicked fears will overtake them. What the wicked fears. Not what's already out there, but what you fear will overtake you. What you fear will overtake you. Whatever you fear becomes your ruler, your master, and it eventually consumes you. If you fear your parents, your peers, failing, poverty, loneliness, Whatever, if you fear something, it overtakes you because you have made that fear your God. Everyone worships and fears something. Everyone does. Even people who say they're not religious or they're atheists, if they fear something, they have worshipped it as their God. There is not one person on this earth then that is not religious. Their faith and their fear is in something. It's your decision what you choose to fear. And to worship. Is it going to be people? Is it going to be your parents? Or is it going to be God? Because if you fear God, it means that God overtakes you with his presence. And if you fear God, it means that as he overtakes you with his presence, it's the best thing that could ever happen to you. It means you're completely full of his spirit. It means you died to yourself and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. And that means the resurrection power of Christ, when he was walking in the miracles and the signs and wonders and the intimacy with God, it means it's yours too, right? And so when you fear God, it also means you fear absolutely nothing else. You don't fear people. You don't feel fear fear failure. You don't fear um, having a bad future. You don't fear being lonely. You don't fear being impoverished, and you don't even fear dying. Because what can death do to you? You have eternity with your maker, right? And so Paul had it figured out. God could only use him in the mighty way that he did because he would not let the fear of man grip him. He had so many opportunities to be afraid, but he chose not to be. Galatians 1.10, Paul says, Am I trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not have become a servant of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. Okay? You are approved fully by God once you accept Jesus Christ. You are accepted fully by God once you accept Jesus Christ. So you can be free of fearing people. 
Fear is not a feeling and an emotion. And this is an important thing, guys. Fear is not something that you just come upon once in a while and you have to deal with or try to, like, I will not be afraid, I will not be afraid, and you just, like, chant this little happy thing in your mind. Like, fear is not an emotion. It is a demonic spirit. It is a spirit, okay? Um, Romans 8.15 says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God did not give you a spirit of fear, okay? Fear is a spirit from the devil. For God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So even for believers who love Jesus, if they open up their heart to fear, uh, fear can take root and paralyze even believers, okay? For believers in Jesus, the word says, you were not given a spirit of fear, but we're given God's Holy Spirit. So that means God lives inside you. And when you're freed from the spirit of fear, you know your true identity. You can rise up in power, in love, and with a sound mind. It means you can finally stop being focused on yourself. You can stop being so inwardly focused. What are people thinking about me? Oh my gosh, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen whenever I do this? Like, how are people going to react when I do this? Like, it's all about you because fear does that. It immobilizes you. It paralyzes you. When you could be changing the world, you are so focused on yourself because of fear, right? Um, But the thing is, you have already been approved by God. So even if people don't approve you, it's completely fine. Your eternity is secure in him, so you don't need the approval of man. And when you received Christ, the Spirit of God came to live inside you, which means the authority of the kingdom of heaven is inside you. It means that everything Jesus did on earth, you are able to access and also release. It means you were meant to heal the sick, see the lame walk, see the deaf hear, see the blind see, see the dead raised to life. It means that people, every single person that sees you and meets you, will encounter Jesus. That is completely possible. So, um, another point I want to make is, do not be deceived. People want to encounter Jesus, okay? People want to. No matter what response people give you, or what their facial expressions look like, or whether they reject you or accept you to your face, the truth is that that's what they're longing for. Why wouldn't they want to encounter the source of all life and the source of all joy, right? I want to tell you guys a couple stories to stir up uh, faith in you throughout my message. And I do this because um, it's going to prove to you guys that people want Christ, even if they don't think they want Christ, okay? So whether they know it or not, you bring it because they do, okay? Do you really believe, though, in what you're telling them. The question is not, do they believe, will they want it? But the question is, do you really believe what you claim? Do you really believe in the salvation power of Christ? That is the most important thing, not whether they do. And so um, one story I want to tell you guys is um, about Cambodia. Everybody, does anyone here, who here knows where Cambodia is? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Cambodia, Cambodia. Okay, there's only seven of you who know where Cambodia is. Oh, oh my Okay, so Cambodia is in Asia. Um, I went on missions there this past summer as well. And, um, no, winter break. And you guys would would be really interested to go to Cambodia because, um, like, the culture there is very different from what I've ever been used to and what my team was used to. And our job actually was to walk from house to house 
and evangelize. So we would sit in people's houses, get to know them, and then we'd have to share the gospel, share a testimony. And then we'd go to the next house, share the gospel, share the testimony. So we'd get there, and then my team leader would say, okay, it's your house, you're going to do the share the gospel this time. And then um, the first house we went to, my leader, Sky, she said, okay, Rona, share the gospel. And I was like, whoa, okay. I didn't know, like, we were just going to jump right into it. But then, so I, I shared with them, and um, it was a man, like this many, this grandma, and then his wife. Three people. And I was sitting this close to them. So really close, right? And eye contact is extremely easy when you're that close to someone. But I was, like, sharing with them energetically, enthusiastically. I was a little afraid, you know, because I'm like, oh, man, like, what a, like, I don't know if they understand or whatever. But um, the man was, like, digging something out of his fingers. The grandma was, like, literally turned aside and he put me in the sky. And then the, 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 the wife of the guy, she was, like, looking occasionally at me, but she kept looking in the house. I think she was cooking something, right? And so... I was like halfway through, I was getting to like, you know, the cross or something, <laughs> like an important part of the story, and then I just, I just like, I paused, and I looked at Sky, and I was like, should we like, wrap it up, like, I don't know if I should keep going, they're not really paying attention, she's like, no, 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 keep going, keep going, I was like, okay, so I just went back at it, and then, and then I ended, and then I'm like, alright, I think that's good, and she's like, aren't you going to ask them, they want to receive Christ, and I was thinking like, Christ, like they were so bored the whole time. I could see their faces, and then, but then I was like, okay, she's my team leader. I'm gonna listen. And then I was like, so now you guys know about this Jesus. Like, who here wants to accept Christ? <laughs> and all of them, as soon as I said that, and the translator translated, they all shut their arm up. Full attention, all shut their arm up. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? What? Like you did not said that to me non-verbally the whole time I was sharing. Like, I didn't see tears. I didn't see any emotion, any interest in your face. Like, are you sure? But then um, they were listening to every single word. And my words were piercing their heart. Because when you share the gospel, it's the power of salvation. The gospel is power. If you just share the gospel over and over and you see nothing else to anyone, it's still powerful. Because that story, that message is what it's all about, and God will anoint it. God will put his, his seal of approval on it because that's what saves people. It doesn't matter if you're good at speaking. It doesn't matter if they look like they're listening or not. The gospel is the power of salvation. So the bottom line is you were not made to be a slave to fear. There are way more exciting things for you to be doing um, than to waste your life people-pleasing, being a pushover, or letting the enemy fill you with fear so you do nothing Right? God wants to set you free from fear so that you can release the kingdom of God and so that you can love others fully through his gospel truth as well. So the first thing is fear God and nothing else. And the second point I want to make is we express our love to God by loving his people. Okay? The core of evangelism and your center has to be a revelation of God's love for you. It can't be out of obligation. You can't think, oh, I want to help people. I want to love people. I want to um, introduce Jesus to people because I have to, because God commanded me to. And if I don't do it, I am a bad Christian. Like, no, that's not going to work very long because it's just bad, okay? So you can't do it out of obligation. You can't do it because you feel guilty. You can't do it even out of pride, like, oh, I'm going to get a good testimony out of this. I can't wait to share it. I want to get some people saved or healed or delivered, right? Even that way is no good. It may work, but God doesn't really keep the heart at the end of the day, right? 
all ministry, all kingdom work, all real love for people, it's got to flow from first knowing his love for you. And I want you guys to all stop and think about those moments in your life when Christ, when God, when the Holy Spirit was the most real to you. It could be like when you were worshiping just as we were doing and you felt like God was so near. Or it could be like when you were going through a really difficult time and you felt like God was right beside you. Or it could be when someone in your family passed away and you were like, man, God, you were beside me in that too. Or it could be um, like when you're working, when you're walking on the street and you could, you could just swear you heard his voice. You could feel his heart nudging you, right? Or if you, if you can't think of a moment like that, you can just think about those moments when your mom and dad, when they sacrificed so much for you. When they worked so hard, late into the night, to provide for you. When your friend didn't care about what it cost them, but they wanted to love you anyway. Those moments when people also unconditionally loved us and gave us that love, all of that has God behind it. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And all those moments, guys, are revelation of God love, of God's love. So even if you don't feel like you had an encounter that's so powerful with Christ, where you're like crying and the heavens are open, like if people have loved you, and if you feel like, man, I didn't deserve that, then you have felt the love of God. And so um, I, if you guys remember my testimony, when I encountered uh, Christ, I shared with you guys the first week at the Emmaus retreat, actually, I was able to really understand this love for the first time. Even though I grew up in church, I had not really encountered this love of God. So um, when I prayed for opening prayer, I told you guys about a story in the mood, right? And there was a woman who was sinful, who was so full of shame, and when she came in, she started weeping at Jesus' feet. Yet there were Pharisees and religious leaders who were sitting with Jesus the whole time, but they were so hardened of heart that they could not have this powerful experience with God. When the woman wept in front of Jesus, and when she poured that perfume on Jesus, do you guys know that that was one of the most beautiful acts of worship in the entire Bible, in all the history of time? And it, it delighted God's heart. It delighted God's heart, okay? Yet there were men who knew the law, who were righteous before the law, and they did nothing like that. And what this woman had, she had a history of sin and shame, but Jesus said, She's been forgiven much, so she loves much. And that doesn't mean we should go sin more so that we can be forgiven for more, so that we can love more. What it means is she had a revelation that she deserved nothing. She had a revelation that her sin should have caused her to die. She had a revelation that all this good that happened to her in her life, she did not deserve, she did not work for, that this new life in Christ was a complete gift. And so she realized she's been forgiven much. So she loves him so much. Whereas these men who are righteous before the law, who grew up in church, who knew the, the Old Testament, all that stuff, they did nothing. They did not worship Jesus anywhere close to extravagantly as this woman. And so whenever I encountered Christ, it was the same thing. I found myself in that place looking up at the face of Jesus seeing his love, experiencing his love for the first time, seeing his eyes of approval on me, and then I said, God, I just want to give you my whole life. You know, I didn't, like, wipe his, his feet with my hair. I didn't have an alabaster jar. But I said, I want to give you my whole life, God. You can have all of my life. And that is the response that God is looking for. And then something began to well up in my heart, and I said, no matter what, even if it's death, God, I want to lay down my life at your feet. 
The thing about worship, guys, and the thing about this response is that Jesus never commanded the woman to cry. He never commanded the woman to wipe his feet with her hair. He never commanded the woman to break that jar of perfume on him. It was all voluntary. It was all her desire. It was all overflow of gratitude from her heart for what he had done. God never said, Rona, give me your whole life. Like, Rona, I want you to be a missionary in Africa. He never said that stuff. But I was saying, I'm willing to go anywhere and do anything. He never told me to do that. Right? Worship is not a command, but it's a choice because we realize how much he's given us. And so um, that's what it means whenever the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. When you are in the middle of God's presence, standing fully accepted and approved and given life, there is no room in your heart to fear a single thing. Um, You are completely free and full of courage because love is always stronger than fear. I'm getting a little toasty up here. Can we turn it? Okay, so, um, yes, perfect love casts out fear, and our, any type of wanting to help people reach out to others, it has to be from that overflow of encountering Christ, knowing his love first, not out of obligation. You know, in that place of worship and love for Jesus, when you want to give him your whole heart, um, at that moment, that's whenever he starts saying some crazy things. That's when Jesus starts meeting you and saying, you want to give me your whole life? You love me that much? Feed my sheep. You want to give me your whole life? You love me that much? Lay down your life for your brothers and your sisters. What? God, like, this is between you and me. Like, you saved me. You love me. I love you too. Oh, my gosh. Like, this is a really good thing. And then he says, you love me? Love them. You love me? You really love me? He always says, then what about my people? Because that's the way it works. You express your love for God, your gratefulness for God through the way that you love his people. That's the way it works, right? It's not just a uh, me and God thing, like I don't need the church, I don't like Christians, I don't like the church, but I'm, I'm tied with Jesus. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds all right. You can make up your own form of religion and worship, but God says in the word all throughout scripture, if you love me, feed my sheep. Yeah. If you love me, the, the non-believers will know you by your love for one another, right? And so we can't pretend like it doesn't say that. We can't pretend we can do this loving God thing apart from loving his people. And so um, everything evangelism has to do with, everything outreach has to do with is, is just that response of worship of love to God. It's not because of obligation. It's not because of guilt. It's not because people scream at you and tell you to do it. It's because you say, God, I love you, and I want them to know this too. <laughs> so, you know, um, Jesus had a really special conversation with Peter. After Peter denied him three times, um, Jesus came back, and then he's like, hey, Peter, come sit with me, eat some fish with me. And then, then, um, then he's like, Peter... Do you love me, right? And you guys are very familiar with this passage, but Peter says, of course I love you, Jesus. And then he asks him again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I love you, Jesus. And then Jesus asks him the third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I love you, Jesus. Like, I've said it three times. And then he says, to be sure, he he asked three times, and then he said, then feed my sheep. That's what happens to all of us. As we really walk in intimacy with God, 
You say, I love you, God, and he says, feed my sheep, care for my people, love my people. It's his heart, guys. It's his heart. So you do what you do. You buy the brokenhearted. You set the captives free. You share the gospel. You love on people, even when they don't deserve it, because he said it. He said, feed my sheep. You love me? Love them, right? And that's why we do what we do. Um, so ministry and loving on people, truly, it boils down to knowing his great love for us first, and then having this one simple conversation with Jesus that Peter had. That's what it's all about. And so um, first point is fear God and nothing else. Second point is your love for God is expressed in your love for people. And then my third point is how to practically apply this. Okay? And there's only there's three words I want you guys to repeat. So love, love. Listen, listen, obey. Okay? Those are the three. How can you act this out? How can you live lives unashamed of the gospel? You love, you listen, and you obey. And then you will not fail. Okay? So if we're really free from fear, and if we have a heart that wants to make God known in this earth, how do we do this practically in our day-to-day lives? Um, And if a generation is yearning for the life-changing power of Jesus, how do we reveal this Christ to people? Um, How do we live lives like Paul, right? And contrary to what many of you have seen and heard and believe, um, evangelism, outreach, and sharing the gospel, it doesn't mean you have to carry around little pamphlets with you. It doesn't mean you have to stand on a street corner with a loudspeaker. It doesn't mean that you have to make sure every person you meet you share the gospel with and then get them to pray a prayer that's like bullet point this, like confess, repent. Like, no, 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 no. It doesn't mean that. God can use all of those different things, but it's not a formula, it's not a method, it's not like a list of of how to love people and how to share the gospel. It's not like that. God has never moved like that. Um, Sometimes it means sharing the gospel. Sometimes it means giving a hug. Sometimes it means praying for someone when they're going through a hard time. Sometimes it means... um, that you are going to help someone move. You know, it doesn't, like, it's so many different things. Revealing the love of Christ, making it real to people, can look like so many different things. Um, You're not bound to one method. And it's not about shoving an agenda to get people to pray a prayer. Um, So, the first and most important thing um, about how to do this practically is love, Okay. First, if you go out with any other motive or agenda, like, I want to get people saved, I want to get people to pray a prayer, I want to get people to do whatever, they will sniff it out quickly. People know when you have an agenda. People know when you're trying to get them to do something. And that is not God's heart at all. Like, if you look at the way Jesus walked this earth, one person he, like, lays a hand on, one person he says, your sins are forgiven, one person he says, pick up your mat, one person he spits on his hand, and then, like, says, you know, like, he did whatever he wanted, because he, he like, did not have a formula or a method, right? Um, he was led by the Spirit. And so, you have to set your heart not on a method or formula, but you have to set your heart on love. Whether people deserve it or not, whether you're comfortable with it or not, sometimes that means that you um, are going to feel really uncomfortable loving people that are unlovable. But 1 Corinthians 13.8 says, Love never fails. If you rely on anything else as your method or agenda, you could potentially fail. You may see success, but you will inevitably fail because that's not God's heart. But if you set your heart to truly love people as God loves them, no matter what you end up doing, you won't fail. You're completely safe, right? 
If you have an agenda other than this, people can tell. So don't do it, okay? <laughs> College students get really excited and full of zeal. I did the same thing. I admit that I messed up in this way. I was just like, ah, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I want to just like tell everyone about you. But my heart wasn't necessarily loving them, right? Or loving God, making that known. It was sometimes just very excited. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> if you have any other agenda other than to make Christ's love real, you will probably hate it, and you will fail. People can easily tell when you're trying to get them to do something. So don't stick to a rigid method, method or an agenda. That's not God's heart. So, love, that's the first thing. Second, two words I said are listen and obey, right? So, I'm going to tell you guys another story. This one's kind of funny. So, um, when I went to a maze uh, retreat, that's when I encountered Christ, right? And then from that moment, I was like set on fire. I was, I was really, really passionate. I was really zealous, really excited for the Lord. And in my zeal, I called my mom on Skype, and I said... Mom, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna move to Africa and sell everything I have, and I just wanna like live in a hut and minister to people and tell everyone the gospel because I love Jesus so much. And I'm like, oh, I mean, just drop out of school. Like, do I even need to go to school? Like, why does school even matter? You know, and I was so excited. And my mom, like, my, I'm always the responsible, like, very perfect, you know, good grades kid. And my mom was just like, what is wrong with you? What has happened to you? You know? Now, my heart was in a good place. But I could have definitely walked in wisdom in how I shared that kind of excitement with my mother. Not like that. So don't do stuff like that. But when I told her that, basically she stopped talking to me for like months. She was like, you're going to give your life for Jesus, huh? Okay. And then she just completely cut me off. And So I was living in Korea. My mom stopped talking to me. She was so disappointed in me. She thought I was throwing my life away. I didn't even know what I was going to do, actually. I I didn't know if I was going to go to Africa. But she just like, what's going on with you? You're crazy. Um, so I started a fast. And it's the first time I ever did a prolonged fast, like a fast more than one day. And I was fasting because I was just praying, you know, God, give me your heart. Uh, give me your heart for my mom. I just pray that you meet her, that you encounter her. And uh, my mom has been through even more than I've been through because she was, like, going through so much um, when she was married to my dad. And so she's really hurt and stuff. She was really hurt. So I was praying and fasting for her. And on the day that my fast was supposed to end, lunchtime, at a certain time, Okay, I was, like, tutoring some kid in, like, really far away, and then I had to go to my next tutor. I didn't have time to, like, sit down and eat a dinner. So I walked next to, like, a toast cart. You know what I mean? Those Korean toast, Isaac toast, right? Yeah. Those are really yummy. You guys know what Isaac toast is? Okay, so I walked next to a toast cart, and I'm like, this is it. I'm going to break my fast with toast. I'm so excited. So I buy it. I, like, unwrapped it. Then I, like, walked towards the subway, and I was about to take my first bite, and then out of the corner of my eye, I saw a homeless man begging for change. And then I heard God's voice, and he said, I had you buy that sandwich so you could give it to that man. I love him. And I stopped and said, is that you, Lord? Is that you? And then I had to ask him, because I knew it was him, you know? And this is the, one of the first times I could really hear God specifically speaking to me about what to do. And I had a choice. No one here in my church is going to see me do this. No one will know unless I tell them. You guys are the, one of the first people I ever tell this story to because I want to prove a point. No one will know except for God and for me. 
I don't have to listen. He's going to love me anyway. What am I going to do? What do you guys think I did? Eat it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you guys really believe in me really well. No, I gave it to the man, okay? I gave it to the man. And I, I gave my sandwich to the man, and I, I went to my next student, and I was hungry, and, and so I, like, waited and ate later, but, um, <clears throat> anyway, I went on my way, okay? going to tell you guys another story. Last year, last year, um, when I first started full-time ministry, God started to give me very clear and specific words for people. Like when I would see them, the first time I would see them, I would hear him say something to me, right? Now, that was five years ago when I first gave a man a sandwich, all right? Later on in my life, I see someone and God speaks something to me. Not every time, but whenever that happens, when you see someone, you feel like overwhelming love for them, or you feel like you can... Um, speak into their lives, and it's not, or you have knowledge that you couldn't have researched or figured out on your own. It's a simple way, that's a simple way to explain words of knowledge or the prophetic, right? And so, um, I, I, last, last year, I saw one girl, and God immediately said, she's been in an abusive relationship. And then I waited, and I said, okay, God, what do you want me to do about that? And then he said, um, Go ahead and share that with her. It's going to be okay. Like, it's going to completely, like, help her. And so I said, okay. So the first time I sat down with her, it's the first thing I said. So tell me about this. Tell me about this. That's what I heard from the Lord. And then she suddenly started crying. She said, how do you know that? How do you know, you know? And then immediately this girl who was so distant from God, who felt like God completely abandoned her, forgot about her, didn't care about her, turned away from her, he became so real to her, and, and he became so, she began to see that God cares intimately about her. He knows every detail of her life, and faith filled her heart to believe in him again. And, and then we began to meet every single week for discipleship, and week by week by week, she was healed, she was set on fire, and now her life is completely changed. She's not the same person, okay? Another girl that I met, I saw her, and then I heard the Lord say, her dad's been cheating on her mom for years, and it's tearing their family apart. And I stopped, and I waited, and I was like, what do you want me to do about that, God? And he said, you don't need to bring it up. She's going to, but just be ready to pray with her. Okay, and then I sat down with her. I just shared my story a little bit, and then immediately she shared her story. Started crying and said, my dad's been committing adultery on my mom, and it's tearing me apart. I don't know what to do. But I already knew that, so I knew, man, we're going to be praying. You know what? God's going to heal your heart. And then she began to forgive and open her heart again to her parents, right? Now, what I want, I tell you guys these stories, first, to fill you with faith, and secondly, because I want you to seriously think about this question, okay? Is what happened on that beach in Japan with that, with that girl who became a Christian, um, when I listened to God's voice to lead her to Christ, or when I heard God give me two clear clear prophetic words for those girls last year, was it more successful or important um, than when I listened to God's voice to give a homeless man a sandwich? Are those stories more important than listening to the voice of God to give a man a sandwich? What do you guys think? No? no? All right, good. Because the answer is It's so weighty, and it's something to be so celebrated. 
time, one person enters into the kingdom of God, right? But in terms of faithfulness, success, and importance in ministry to God, in my heart, none of these stories is more significant than the other. Because the bottom line is, um, in John 5, 19, Jesus says it most perfectly. He says, there truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. The Son can do nothing by himself. The man who is God said he could do nothing without God, right? He said, I can only do what I see the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does. Jesus said, when I look to the Father, he tells me what to do. When I see the Father's heart, I manifest that heart. When he tells me to do this, I do this. When he tells me to do that, I do that. And that's why Jesus' ministry was so powerful, right? And so... Even Jesus, the perfect man, never relied on a formula. He never relied on himself, and he never and he ministered differently to each person. You cannot be stuck on a method and a formula, okay? God reveals more as we obey. The reason why, he's giving um, not just me, but so many people. He's pouring out his spirit. He's speaking to so clearly just like that because he loves this generation so much, the reason why we can hear clearly is because we started by giving a man a piece of uh, toast, right? It's I forgot what it was called, but um, it starts small, right? Oswald Chambers wrote my uh, favorite devotional book when I was in college. I was like, I read it every single day. It was amazing. Um, my utmost first hiatus is a classic, and um, one of the, the lessons that stuck with me, that's going to stick with me forever, um, I'm going to read to you guys, so you are lucky, okay? I read the whole thing, and you guys get to get, like, this gold from it, all right? So all of God's revealed truths are sealed until they are opened to us through obedience. You will never open them through philosophy or thinking, but once you obey, a flash of light comes immediately. Let God's truth work into you by immersing yourself in it, not by worrying into it. The only way you can get to know the truth of God is to stop trying to find out and by being born again. If you obey God in the first thing he shows you, in the first thing he shows you, then he instantly opens up the next truth to you. You could read volumes on the work of the Holy Spirit. When five minutes in total uncompromising obedience would make things as clear as sunlight. Don't say, I suppose I will understand these things someday. You can understand them now. And it is not study that brings understanding to you, but obedience. Even the smallest bit of obedience opens heaven. And the deepest truths of God immediately become yours. Yet God will never reveal more truth about himself to you until you have obeyed what you know already. Okay? That last line I will repeat. God will never reveal more truth about himself to you until you have obeyed what you already know. Why would he? Why would he? There's so much more to God and to this Jesus and to this Christian living thing. But why would he show you more if you haven't been faithful to what he's already shown you? Why would he tell you the secret, the depths of the heart of these people he loves so you can set them free? If You can't give a man a piece of, of bread, right? And so not just in terms of truth in scripture, but in hearing his voice and discerning his will, he will not reveal more and heavier and weightier, weightier things until you can obey what he's already given you. As you obey, he reveals more. God usually starts by prompting you with something small, maybe a small whisper, a small, a quiet voice, maybe just a nudge in your heart to help someone. Like, maybe it's something small, like when you first encounter Jesus, hey, you should you just feel yourself, man, 
I feel like I should stop smoking. Or, man, I, I think I need to stop being so bad to my friend. I should stop, you know, cussing at them. Or I should be kinder to my... Like, it's something really, really small like that. Then it gets heavier as you obey those things, right? And then it starts saying, hey, why don't I invite all my friends to the Emmaus retreat? And you're like, whoa, I don't, don't want to do that, right? Or why don't you go talk to that classmate who's, who you know is suffering, who you know is hurt? And then things like, um, hey, why don't you open up and share your story, even that deep, dark, painful thing to your familiar leader? I know it's scary, but why don't you open up your heart and do that? Or, hey, why don't you ask that person if they know Jesus as their Savior, right? You obey step by step by step, and one thing is not more significant than the other, but as we obey, he reveals more. You see, God knows if we obey him in the little things he leads us to do, we'll be able to discern and listen to his voice in the bigger things. So, the last thing I want to talk about is our responsibility and our part, okay? As we are deciding to live wholeheartedly for Christ, as we are learning to be unashamed of the gospel in our lives day to day, uh, it's easy to be overwhelmed, okay? Does that mean I need to go save the world and travel to Africa and, like, help everyone? Does that mean I need to go get everyone saved in my classes? What does it mean, you know, to be unashamed of the gospel? Does that mean I have to stand in the middle of the campus and, and talk about Jesus and, with a loudspeaker? What does it mean? And it's easy to be overwhelmed because you see so much need. You see so much brokenness once your eyes are open to it, right? <clears throat> the answer is no, okay? No to all of those things. You are responsible for only the following. You are responsible to make his love real. You are responsible to listen to his voice and to obey. You are responsible to go after God's heart and to try your best to see what the Father's doing. You are responsible for obedience to what he's already spoken to you. You are responsible not to save people, heal people, deliver people, or set people free. Okay? That is completely God's part. People's responses to you, whether they're good or bad, are are completely God's responsibility. That should make all of us feel so much better, right? Because the pressure is not on us. It's not us that saves, it's God. He's the one that saves people and heals them. So just stop and listen to him. Look and see what the Father is doing and respond in obedience. One way that God speaks to us is through our spiritual leaders that he's placed over us. If you're a discipler, if you're a familiar leader, if your pastor has encouraged you to do something, go somewhere, be somewhere, serve in this way, that's a really easy way to see what God is speaking to you. Because if he's placed a leader over your life for that season, that's exactly who you're supposed to be under. It's not a mistake. Even if that person doesn't know as much scripture as you, even if they are crazy, even if they're not nice all the time, whatever, if he has placed you there for that season, there's something you're supposed to learn from them. So when they encourage you to do something, what's your response? Has it been, oh, if I feel like it, maybe I'll show up, okay. Or has it been, okay, I'm going to honor this like it is God speaking to me because I want to hear more from him. I want to be, I want to be obedient to this because I want more of what you have in your heart, this yeah. earth of God for me, right? It's something so simple, but even how we respond to our leaders will determine what else he's going to reveal and give to us, right? Mm -hmm. So, in conclusion, the passage we started with in Romans says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. There are thousands of students right outside these doors of Agorian building um, who've been told that they are worthless, that they are nothing, that they will amount to nothing, 
There are people who feel so lonely. They feel so lonely that that they feel like if they disappeared, no one would even notice. They feel so hopeless that they're like, death is better than living one more day. And it's not just somewhere in Seoul, in the abyss of Seoul. It's on this campus. On this campus, right now, people are contemplating whether they want to kill themselves. Right now, people are making a decision to do that, to take their own life. Right now, people are being raped. People are being abused. People are broken and hopeless. Right outside these doors. It happens every moment. Right now, there are students who are so trapped in a cycle of sin and addiction and pain that they feel like no matter what they do, they can't change. That no one can help them. That they can't fix it. They can't get out of it. Right now, people are struggling with all of these things right outside these doors. They are absolutely desperate, yearning to encounter Jesus Christ. It's the cry of their heart. And even some of you, you don't even know yet, but that's the cry of your heart too, to encounter him in a deeper way. And the only people, the only ones that have the freedom and the truth and the power to help them are the people who are in a love relationship with Jesus. Yet the devil has paralyzed young people with fear for far too long. And God has given each of you keys to people's breakthroughs, keys to people's freedom. You guys, he is entrusted with keys to set people free. He calls you guys his ministers. He wants, you to, he wants to use you to release his kingdom on this campus, in this city, even in the nations. So God is calling you guys. This generation specifically to more. He is calling you not just to draw close to intimacy with him, but to walk a higher road, to search after his heart for deeper things, because it's not just about you. It's not just about you. It's about all those people that he loves. Your relationship with Jesus has so much more to do than you, right? It goes so much farther and deeper than it just being about you.